What's up, yo? Thanks for tuning in Asian Bitches Down Under, the podcast all about sharing information and perspectives from the Asian diaspora point of view in society and culture. We encourage you to subscribe to our show by Apple, Google or Spotify or any podcast platform of your choice. And we welcome our listeners to support our show by sending us comments, give us review and share our podcast with your fellow podcast lovers. Make sure you check out the episode's show notes for any collaborations we are working with to promote. Thanks again and we hope you enjoy today's show. Hey y'all, this is Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And we are Asian bitches down under, down under as in an Australia with a population of just over 25 million. That is like less than a lot of provinces in China. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Or and even the cities. Reason about, yeah, exactly, cities, exactly, cities in China. I think, um, isn't Shanghai 27 million? Something like that. Oh my goodness. I don't know, no, yeah. It's, it's insane. Anyway, we have a lot of space here in Australia. That's all I can say. <laughs> So Helen, um, we are, we you know, for the listeners who follow us, we did happen to not release a recording last week because Helen, do you want to explain? Because yeah, I stopped up last week. Oh my god, it was so intense on Friday. I was trying to edit. I spent the whole morning editing our recording, and mm-hmm. then um, it just went blank. My part, my my audio mm-hmm. file just went blank. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. freaked out. And thankfully, the recording of the interview with Susanna and Enoch went through well because they, mm. I have saved them in uh, on another audio file. But I don't know why that my part of audio file. Because for listeners who doesn't know that we record different in a different location, Jessie's in her home in inner city where I as I on the central coast, and we put our two recording parts together when I'm doing the editing yeah. uh, for some reasons it just went blank I think I oversaved something too much or it just the garage right, right. couldn't comprehend or something like that I tried the whole weekend unfortunately it just didn't come together but anyway we just going to quickly talk about the past two weeks of our cultural consumptions yes um, do you want to start first yes um, well um what I'm doing is going through um, the Nora Ephron um, filmography. This is mm-hmm. what um, my partner and I like to do. We like to um, take a director um, yes. and look through all of their filmography chronologically. And um, uh, I think the last person we did was Stanley Kubrick, who um, my partner is a huge fan of. And I tolerated that. <laughs> you I'm tolerated that. Fan of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the way that I tolerate, like, Philip Pullman, for instance, uh-huh. you know, not that I've ever read any Philip Pullman. Yeah, um, so Nora Ephron. So we were up to Michael, which is a film, I think, um, in the 1990s. I yes. actually forgot which year it is. Yeah, it's during the 90s, uh, well, it's a few, sure. Yeah, I think it's like a few years before the best movie ever, um, You've Got Mail, <laughs> also by Nora Ephron. Yeah. But um, I just, both of us thought that Michael was fucking weird. It's like the weirdest movie we've ever seen. But to counter that, um, I have been watching and rewatching um, probably my favorite movie I've seen in years, um, The Lost Daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and in conjunction with that, I've read the book now twice. Yes. It's really short; it's like 160 pages long. Um, but it's been a really chill summer of 
kind of going back into the 90s, watching stuff from there Mm -hmm. and reading novels and film adaptations, um, watching that. It's been incredible. Like, I'm sure I've talked about how wonderful The Lost Daughter is in a previous episode, I believe. Yes. Um, The book is equally equally as mesmerising. Um, Helen, you watched the movie that everyone has watched, I feel, Don't Look Up, starring mm-hmm. Jennifer Lawrence and Jay... Leonardo DiCaprio. Leo, Leo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've watched that the previous week, and I kind of briefly mentioned it on the on last Friday's recording, which I told you that it wasn't a really good movie, but it was a fun movie. I thought it was quite right. funny because it's pretty much reflecting and dip, a depiction of what's happening right now. Um, hmm. with a pandemic how everyone's ignoring the scientist uh, statements and how the politicians are taking over the control of what the citizens are actually going to try to do to save themselves and also uh-huh. there's a mixture the movie has a lot of mixture but the main elements will be scientists politicians and media that really hmm. manipulates how we behave as a human society yeah. yeah um and, I actually found a, uh-huh, and so what do you think you watched it this week? Oh yeah, I found it very um upsetting to watch. Mm-hmm. I found yeah. it very um I didn't find it um very funny. I found it very confronting actually. Okay. I know a lot of people yeah. have it's got bad reviews and all that um but uh, I don't really care for um I mean yes, I do care for well made movies, but more than anything for me the message is the most important thing and I mm-hmm. think this movie had a very strong, powerful, um, frightening message. And yes. um, my partner afterwards read a lot of reviews about it, and it's supposedly about climate change, obviously. Okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And the sort of devastating neglect that we – and deliberate ignorance that we um, kind of have towards this issue mm-hmm. and what that could mean for our potential um, offspring generations to come. But, yeah, I – well, the ending uh, – obviously, I'm going to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, so – heads up but the ending was very confronting oh, okay because it felt yeah it felt so real it oh, felt that yeah, something it, like that could really happen yeah while i was watching a film and i yeah. kept telling my husband saying that i hope the ending is as real as what's going to happen it, it was up to my expectation because i don't yeah, like yeah. because the previous like disasters or end of the day kind of movie has always been like oh uh white men Someone save survives. the day yeah, <laughs> yeah. White, white people <laughs> yeah white, white people, people saves the day and everyone yeah. survives but this one is totally the opposite i mean yeah, you, exactly. you see the survival of the you know the jonas jonah hill <laughs> No, we say the cockroach. We're actually calling the cockroach. You know how usually, like at the end of the disastrous events, the cockroach survives, oh, and that's right. what yeah. I kind of gave in the label of that character. Yeah. You know, Jonah Hill yeah. survives at the end of the movie. Um, but what's funny was that it really, like, I, I didn't want everyone to survive, and it actually yeah, no, happened want, in the movie. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So it um, really reflects what, on the reality. Like you said, it's very confronting. Yeah. Yeah. The movie um, ended where I wanted it to end. If it had a happy ending, I would not have liked it. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that it was kind of existential. Yeah. And it was quite sentimental as well. At the very final, like 20 minutes, uh, you start to think that you know that there's the end to your life because of what happened with all the actions that other people did, even though that you try to prevent it. And we see at the very end how. It, Leonardo DiCaprio's character come together with his family and that's exactly what I want I think 
if that ever happens in my lifetime, that I think at the end of the day, what is the most important? You know, it's family. not money. It's not no. wealth. Yeah. It's it's family. It's someone that it's you relationships. love. Yeah, relationships. Yeah, all relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found that last scene very, very um, poignant and very confronting. Because, yeah. like, first of all, I didn't like the fact that the wife took back Leonardo so easily. But then, mm. like, okay, uh, let's just let's just like let that slide because literally they have an hour left in, in their lives. Mm-hmm. So, okay, like, let's give Leo a, that wife a um a free pass there. But um, I found the dignity of their last conversation so um, so um, emotional because, like, they knew they were about to mm. die and yet they step, they kept going on with this conversation about, oh, the food, well, the something past. about the food or the coffee, yeah. the coffee, yeah. yeah. And, and that was so um, – I know for myself if, if, um, if our lives were about to end, I would, don't, I would definitely not be that um, dignified. I would be, like, screaming and panicking <laughs> and, like, going crazy – hitting people or something but they were so dignified in facing death yeah it was very very it was like the best scene in the movie definitely i think so too yeah yeah i yeah. cry a little bit on that scene because this is that's yes, what i too. want like yes. what i hope that i will be if we ever face that kind of situation yeah yeah, yeah. you just want to sit next yeah i actually turned to andrew and said the last person i want to be next to is bruce <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's my sister's? Yeah, my sister's five-year-old. Who's like the most fucking adorable thing in the whole world. Um, yeah, that that that's what I want. But um, it's also really to... frightening as well because you think it about that's, it. That's it. Um, like, uh, my daughter didn't watch the film, but she okay. came in and out of a room while we were watching the film and she was asking, oh, what's the film about? And we yeah. told her, oh, it's pretty much the end of the day. A meteorite is going to hit the earth and everyone dies and mm. things like that. And the mm. next day, she expressed signs of anxiety that she never had like what for the past two years like um she was asking oh mom if we're gonna if uh karma's gonna hit the earth what would you want to do what do you think that we should be doing and she had this Mm. really the expression that an eight-year-old shouldn't have super concerning Mm. and super serious kind of expression saying that oh um would that ever ever happen? Like, would that ever happen in mm. the very in mm. my lifetime that something's gonna hit Earth and we're oh, all gonna die? Oh, that's so, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. really sad yeah. hearing from an eight year old because, you know, she's only eight and there's she's got decades in front of her. Yeah, but yeah. then something like a movie like this, probably even though if she hasn't seen her, but she's already got that concept of knowing a possibility of you know whether or not it's pandemic or environmental issues yeah. that her life span will be shortened yeah anyway yeah it, well like that i think um i mean even yeah you said she's eight but i i was left feeling a bit anxious about whether or not the likelihood of of that happening what happens in the movie is real mm. and um i think um i mean my partner who's like really knowledgeable about these things he says that it's very unlikely mm-hmm. you know for for something like that to actually happen but but i think the main reason why the uh, filmmakers wanted to show this was um it was a metaphor for climate change mm-hmm. and how really like nobody is listening everyone is like deliberately turning their heads away from the crises mm-hmm. and what and and kind of very very kind of confrontingly makes us look at what what may happen if we do turn our eyes away from it i think the reason why cli- uh, 
climate change for some is so un not as confronting as say a meteorite is because it's like a slow death yeah it's a you know, it's like a slow, slow yeah it's death, a very slow yeah. as in it's i mean obviously climate change and the effects of it are happening at like ex- like extraordinary rates in the last 50 years um that's not what i mean i mean like it's slower than a sudden impact of a meteorite that's what i mean mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, you know with the pandemics the last two years kind of accelerated um how people response to the situation yeah and also yes. you know we've lost so many lives in the past two years like more mm, than mm. I, I think world war Two. someone mentioned and also it's it also re- reflects on how politicians and media ref- uh, response to such situations mm. you see from the movie this is one interesting aspect that i found in the movie is that so many people are relying on now like social media and how much influence um, little gossip news yeah takes over people's world. Oh, yeah, you totally. know there, there's a part yeah, yeah. about you know uh, uh, was it Adriana Grande who plays Ariana Grande Ariana Grande who plays the pop star who's like breaking up and, yeah it's just so yeah, stupid yeah they're yeah. more important than the scientists yeah, telling you totally. what's going to happen in the world yeah yeah, I really liked um, Kate, um, Jennifer Lawrence's um, character's name, Kate Dibiaski. Uh-huh. I think that's such a good name. I just thought Dibiaski is such a good surname. I think, I'm pretty like sure it was Dibiaski. Is that like a Jewish? Um, it's Polish. Name. I'd say maybe Polish or Polish, some Eastern yeah, I European. Think it's, yeah. 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 Or Bulgarian. <laughs> could be Russian. Could I remember Russian, last yeah. week when we were recording, you said that you really dislike her, I know, yeah. how, her appearance. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't like before I watched the movie. I didn't like the way Jennifer Lawrence was depicted with the really awful fringe and the red hair. It just uh-huh, didn't suit her. Uh-huh. Um, but I actually, f- I, I I love her character. I absolutely mm-hmm. love Kate's character because um I found myself um, seeing myself in her so much. Like she goes berserk on on um, national live TV, TV yeah. which is like something I would do. Um, I, my favorite actually scene scenes. My favorite kind of little thing that happens in the film is you know how in the beginning when they they wait seven eight hours to see the president Meryl Streep and then mm. they oh yeah don't end up going to see her and you know how there was one part where a general and in a military yeah. uniform he makes them pay f- like he for gives, the they gives him money for the snacks and, yeah. yeah and then throughout the rest of the film she keeps saying she keeps wondering aloud why did he make us pay for the snacks that were actually yeah. free. That was, that was that's so, so funny. It's just such a mystery that you don't understand so why. Good. Even even if it's for me, I will wonder why the fuck did he ask for for the money? You know, did he it, accept the money. Yeah, yeah, did he accept the money or even ask for it? Like saying that it's only like yeah. I don't know. It's probably only spare changes for him. But why yeah, yeah. does he ask well, for um, it? I think it's a metaphor for greed, greedy uh, men, greedy military men. I see. Yeah, uh-huh. and like extortion and corruption and you know true very true yeah yeah totally Uh well moving on to books um i'm reading a really chunky one and it's one of the most anticipated books of 2020 uh it is hannah yanagahara's um fourth novel third novel oh my god it's her third novel (laughs) it's insane that's only her third it's called to paradise Mm -hmm. and um it is an extraordinarily tender book um i want to tell our listeners don't don't freak out about the reviews you're reading about it being like hard to read i'm flying through it Mm -hmm. i'm flying through it and um um i think yesterday or the day before um i was reading it 
um, in the middle because it's about 700 pages, so it's not a thin book, but who cares? It's Hannah Yanagihara. I'll follow her mm. wherever she leads me. Um, and um, there's a section in the middle of the book where um, I won't talk about it because um, I will literally spend the next five minutes sobbing, um, but uh, it left me like crying. I was reading it in my partner's um, lounge room and my partner shares his house with a couple of people mm-hmm. and um, I was sobbing like really hard and Aww. I was crying really hard and then um wet, and then like some of his housemates were like coming through um, the kitchen and I had to like cover I had to cover my face yeah because I was crying so hard but I probably gonna think that's your your partner did something to you yeah um but the book is really three different books somehow like linked in a way um through like the same names reoccur mm-hmm. okay um but but all of them really are about the love lives of um gay men oh. and mm-hmm. it's re- what i really love about her writing is that she writes about men being tender with each other oh, which that's is nice. something that i just think is really one of the key things we need more of in this world like men to be kinder to each other that's right and like show show love show Mm -hmm. affection show tenderness yeah i swear that is communicate like one of yeah if we had more tenderness in the world amongst men the world would be a better place and and you know we all know the reason why there are no tender men out there it's because um tenderness is seen as like a feminized thing according to the patriarchy Yeah. yeah. What What are you reading, Helen? Nice. Um, I'm currently reading the book that you gave me for Christmas, Woman Eating by Claire Coda. Um, I'm assuming, I haven't read up her biography, but I'm assuming because this is her first book, um, she's kind of incorporated a lot of her self-identity into the characters of this book. Um, so basically it's a novel... It's a novel that I don't think that I will ever pick up because I'm not really into a vampire genre, but mm. um, it's quite interesting that the book is set in London where we follow a young female half-vampire, half-human, Lydia, throughout her artistic life where she kind of struggles with in, in terms of um, managing her mum who's who used to be a vampire and I think she turned back to human. She slowly regresses back to like a human form because she's becoming older. She's moving her mother into a nursing home at the same time. She's going out independently now without her mother, looking after her full resources, which is um, blood that they grew up having uh-huh. pig's blood. And now uh-huh. that she needs to go out and trying to kind of hide her true identity, but also trying mm. to fit into a human society in the arts industry yeah um yeah yeah, i never really thought of reading something like a vampire genre but it's quite interesting there are aspects that she write about in the book that really Mm. reflects into being a human woman like being a woman in the world like you need to identify that there are some insecurities when you're being a human a female human Mm. Like yeah. walking past a, a strange man who's giving you cat call, or um, mm. you have to deal with, uh, for example, workplace sexual harassment, and also 
you want to kind of open yourself up, but at the same time, it's very confronting and also conflictual about how you feel about the society. Like you want to open it up, but you want to find that. How do I say it? Like a balance as well, not to intimidate.、Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I'm looking forward to、yeah. reading it myself. Oh yeah, I think you enjoyed it. Some parts are quite interesting. Some parts are funny, and I thought it would be like a YA novel because most of the what, most what? of the vampire genres are like young oh, adults. Oh YA, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah But yeah, this is more、yeah. like a bit more adult, mature adult. Yeah, version. Oh, terrific. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, to to wrap up our cultural consumption, um. Um, Helen is going to mention one more show, Helen.、Mm-hmm. Um, that it's on SBS On Demand, which is something that I don't actually ever look at, and I should because I know there are brilliant things on there. Yeah, yeah, you、um, should. So yeah, what is the show that you have been watching that you want to tell our listeners about? Okay, so I started watching Why Women Kill on SBS this week.、Um, it's starring I think it was the name、uh, Jennifer Lucy Liu, Lucy Liu, Jennifer Jennifer, Jennifer Goodwin.、Um, yeah. When we were watching, she's so、her. annoying. By the way, <laughs> I just、It's、find、so、her so annoying. Sorry, she's in one of my favorite movies, like pet fate, pet hate favorite movies.、Uh, what's that? I have a couple of like rom coms I hate but also love. Something Borrowed, starring Jennifer Goodwin and Kate Hudson,、oh, okay. and John Krasinski、uh-huh. as like the beta male. It's so <laughs> funny to watch. But anyway, um, keep going. Yeah. Okay. So it's just starring Jennifer Goodwin, Lucy Liu, and. I didn't know her name until I had to look it up. I think、um, there's a African American. Her name's Kirby Howard Baptiste Baptiste Kirby. She's mm. the mm-hmm. black journalist who played the best friend of Cruella in the latest Cruella Deville's movie.、Um, oh, okay. Yeah.、Um, so basically. The show divides into three sections. First one is in the sixties, the second one's in the eighties, and the last one, final one, is in the modern days, the two thousand and nineteen. When this series came out about two years ago, I keep telling myself I have to watch it because it seems so interesting. I want to see, you know, the how the modern world really the writers how they're gonna write how how women are actually. I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it, but I'm just gonna talk、yeah. about the show anyway.、Um, so the '60s star wins Jennifer Goodwin. She is always been. I think she's been typecast into that kind of good traditional wife, housewife, housewife、yeah. kind of role, and she plays it so well because it's just her appearance. I don't know. It's just her yeah, face she does look looks very, like a very, yeah, very traditional, yeah, yeah, yeah type I, I of housework wife. Yeah, yeah, she's like a plant cheeks. Um, she 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 looks. She has that very generic mid-century female look. That's right. right. Yeah. So she plays a housewife in the sixties, where she found out that her husband, who's a aero aerospace engineer, is having an affair. I've only had up to the second episode, so I don't know what's going to happen. And the second、mm. one in the eighties, where we see Lucy Liu is like a gallery owner or something like that. She's really rich. I love that. And I love gallery she's, owners. She's a powerful, <laughs> like a girl boss type of、uh-huh. character,、uh-huh. and she's holding pies. Where is this based in?、Uh, Pasadena. Oh, so, so the, the story, yeah. So the stories of three women go through the same mansion. So they、oh. live through in the same mansion. This is 
exactly like Hanayana Gahara's Two Paradise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sim- which is what I've just mentioned. It, it, all of the all the three books are situated within one mansion in um, one house. In oh, Washington interesting. Square. But okay. Yeah. yeah. So we see Lucy Liu found out that her husband is gay, sleeping with other men, um, uh-huh. and the third one, which is in the modern days, what twenty nineteen, um, we see. Kirby's uh, character married to a very uh, to a writer, a male writer or screenplay writer. Anyway, um, mm. she's a lawyer, and they seem a very progressive, liberal, democratic type of very new age kind of um, couple where they're married mm. but they're open. They have an open relationship. So basically, right. that the modern couple is that they are married but they have partners outside of their own marriage. But their rule is that they never bring their hookups back at home. But one right, incident right. is that. Kirby brings um, one of her past ex, so-called ex, yeah. which is uh-huh. her um, girlfriend that she had before, into yeah. their home because she was in some crisis that um, that woman was having her one of the ex-boyfriend stalking her, so she was afraid, so she kind of like brought her back home. And we see that the dynamics of the the couple and the extra woman becomes... A slightly unusual because the man seems like the husband seems like he he's falling for the woman who is a right, right. ex-girlfriend of her wife yeah yeah mm-hmm. so you see the three it kind of intertwines the three couples intertwine throughout the stages um you see how their life goes on and how they found out what happened with their partner and of course it's essentially the title why woman kill and uh, you understand that mm. um, they're pretty much moving towards the goal of trying to murder their husband. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Wow. That sounds like such an interesting and very funny series to watch. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a break, and uh, when we come back, we'll discuss uh, what we're very much looking forward to in the next week or so. Um, it is Lunar New Year. Um, mm-hmm. Helen has got a riveting expose about really the capitalization and commercialization of this festival. We'll be right back. Okay, so we're back, guys. Um, Lunar New Year is like a very, very massive deal in our family. Um, mm. My parents are Taiwanese. My dad's dad's family on the dad's side, my dad's dad are Chinese. So it's like a massive deal for us. Um, this year it falls on the 31st of January. It's a Monday. Uh, New Year's um, Eve. Yeah, New Year's Eve, yes. And so um, we're going to have a massive feast, which is going to be exciting. But um, Helen, what have you noticed in the last couple of years with this festival and the way in which the Western brands, I guess, uh, late capitalist Mm -hmm. Western corporations have really taken over and embraced this this festival in their products? Yeah, so... From the uh, like from the last two weeks, I'm seeing a lot of fees that's coming up from my social media platforms, for example, mm-hmm. Facebook, you see, um, because due to algorithms, they will tell, they will show you the brands that you're mostly like to purchase from. So as a yes. <laughs> as a as a mom, um, they will show me ads like from supermarkets, and if I have re- recently purchased um, products from similar brands, they will show me different brands. For example, if I um, bought shoes for my kids, they would show me Adidas or Nike's yep. ad. And in, in the past two weeks, we've seen 
more visibilities of, well, at least I'm seeing a lot more visibilities for Asian groceries from Woolworths, Aldi, and Coles, and mm-hmm. also Com- oh, yeah, and also Converse have um, an advertising of new Lunar New Year's products where they have like all red sneakers. And yes, even yes. Australia Post, they have uh-huh. a limited twenty twenty edition of Tigger, uh-huh. the Winnie the Pooh, the Tigger, yeah, dressing yeah. in red, in, in red, like, like in traditional, in traditional like, Chinese Chinese outfit. Costume. Yeah, yeah, that's so cute. Yeah, and you know, just put the slap a, a sticker on saying that twenty twenty two limited edition. Everyone will go berserk with it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. For example, like Nike, for instance, I think in the previous year they have remixed its high top sneakers with graphics of popping firecrackers and also the wow. artisanal Chinese knots. And we have seen mm. Apple offered limited uh, edition of the AirPod cases with um, animal yeah. emojis to symbolize the Chinese zodiac. Zodiac, yeah. And for the extreme parts, uh, I've looked up there. Uh, apparently, there's a Swiss boutique, Vicheron Constantin. Um, they have like a 13,000 watches with a high relief engraving of the Chinese zodiac animals. Wow. Um, so we're seeing more of this kind of brands, um, not to mention, like, for example, Aldo, the shoe brand, MAC, Cosmetics, Burberry. Mm-hmm. And all sorts of a lot of luxury brands that mm. are taking upon this kind of trend to market using the you know the culture holidays to market expand their capitalism movement. Mm. Mm. What I've read in in the past two days, there I don't think there has been articles coming up this year yet. But in twenty twenty, uh, Vokes have wrote that. Um, the well-known Western brands, for example, Apple, Gucci, Nike, and Sephora have launched new advertising campaign and capsule collections overseas primarily to aim at Chinese customers. But these activities also have bleed into like American markets. So like what's happening also in Australia as well, we're seeing like posters of luxury brands that's using Lunar New Year to kind of get every kind of to get more people it's like another like shopping how do you call it we try to promote opportunity i guess yeah the opportunity exactly the opportunity for them to to, make more money to make more money yeah unfortunately you think about it you know it's like a it's a corporates that they have the incentives to get more customers but at the same time do you think you have to really think that are they really there to promote a culture or are they there for just basically capital capital gains? From what I've mm. read, um, Vogue's article also said that when companies try to co-op a culture holiday for material gains, they risk subverting or even trivializing the traditional behind the events. You know, despite the Lunar New Year's deep-seated tradition, it have it has devolved into somewhat a consumerist holiday. It's tradition for people to buy loved one gifts or exchange money, um, which really what we you know a lot of Chinese culture and I assume other Asian cultures do you know the red pocket and even consider good fortune to ring in the new year with new stuff I can understand that but 
I do I, I do not understand how like what's the real point for like I, I mean it's I know the point as in you know it's another thing it's another aspect for then uh, an advertising idea to get more people to buy things and at the same time mm. we all know that China's market their buying power for luxury goods yeah, for luxury goods has yeah, been you know, so high so high for the past 10 years also growing um, over the yeah, last yeah it's decades. also growing it's definitely insanely. yeah because they're, they're yeah. expanding their middle class and we're seeing more people buying things and you really need to think What about, I have to say is that, just yeah. really quickly, that I'm looking at a lot of these uh, kind of campaigns uh, that are uh, from Dolce Gabbana and Alexander McQueen and Prada mm-hmm. and um, Gucci, and a, a lot of them this year feature tiger prints because, yes. you know, it's the year of the tiger. Mm-hmm. But I just have to say from a purely aesthetic point of view, it looks very trashy. Mm-hmm. It's, like, very tacky. I, I feel like, yeah, a lot of them are just, like, tacky tacky as fuck especially the Dolce Gabbana ones I would not be wearing that anytime like I would not be wearing that at all just like it just looks so it looks so (laughs) tacky Um, it looks like something from the $2 shop to be honest like animal prints that are like so yeah like there's this one handbag from Gucci where um, and um, and the handbag is on the sides of it, it's like an ocean blue. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle is like the typical Gucci pattern print. And then it has uh, on the uh, on the side of the main bag, uh, main front of the bag, it just has in block letters and in red, very big letters, Gucci Tiger. It, just, it looks so <laughs> bad. It just looks bad. I don't, I don't see how it, anyone would want to buy that. The colour and but the just mix, generally, the mixture of the pattern, it just looks tacky. I agree with you. It's so bad, yeah. It looks so tacky. But but just generally, um, if we're going to talk about luxury brands in general, I'm, I'm just going to put it out there and say I'm, I have never, I, at one second in my life, ever been mm-hmm. uh, interested in acquiring anything with a brand um, because I just think, uh, like, I, I honestly don't understand the point of it. Um, uh, I know that a lot of people in finance – uh, women in marketing and women in finance, I know, often mm. carry something um, like f- from a luxury brand. Um, it just mu- must be their kind of what they value. You know, it must be they get a sense of self um, or importance from carrying like a very yeah. expensive handbag. Like for me, I couldn't care less if my bag cost $2 or $200,000. I think luxury goods have a lot of things that we can explore, but I still don't understand. I think people have certain values that they place is that are very different to us. And I just don't understand why a certain... I think I do because of the qualities when you first started a certain brands that people they envision that the quality is going to last long of a certain product so they will purchase something that's more expensive but i think in mm, mm. you know the last 50 years yeah. you're seeing more people trying to collect the bags and trying to make it into an investment or have it as a marker of your own personal wealth and i think uh, i don't know it's not it's not something that i want to do myself yeah right i just i don't think but it's probably mm. most likely is because I'm not that I'm not in that kind of social group, so I would never understand why. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I think, 
and I think we're really lucky in that um, all three girls in our oh. family, all three daughters <laughs> of my mom parents, when none of us are materialistic. Like all three of us wear wear like cheap Kmart clothes. Honestly. I don't mind buying quality products, but I don't think I'll go beyond and above、mm. to the point that I will spend thousands of dollars for a bag.、Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, like I、exactly. said, one thing that I don't have. Even if I, I think even if I'm work in a workplace, I'm, I'm guessing that certain workplaces that you need to have a piece of item that shows how much you earn, and it kind of represents your oh, value. Oh, that's gross. And that's so gross. Probably that's how marketing and finance work. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, kill me if I, I I don't know one single marketing or finance person in my life. Thank God, and obviously I'm going to offend a lot of listeners out there. I know,、um, but yeah, like、um, you know, like sales car car salesmen's wearing、uh, Rolex watches,、mm. and as though that's supposed to be impressive. I'm just like throwing up in my mu- my mouth just thinking about, you know, what those kind of people, you know, I just I could never justify. Like a twenty thousand dollar watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same. Honestly, it just it's it disgusts me. Actually, anyone who owns a Rolex disgusts me. I guess me. it's just that、uh, you know they earn enough that they can, and they want to show、yeah. off, and、yeah. well, that's fine. That's fine with us. But I don't think. Yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll just. I'll rather spend the money some somewhere that's more. I know exactly. You know, that have more value than just a piece of. <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I honestly, I cannot, I cannot fathom how you could justify, even if you, ugh, I guess, like if you're Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos,、mm. um, you know, I guess, tw- you know, twenty thousand dollars is literally like five cents for、yeah. you. I get that.、Yeah. Um, I guess it's yeah. I, I just,、um, I'm not in that sort of fi-、uh, wealth bracket, and so I just will never understand how anyone could. Like twenty thousand dollars for me is like、um, a home deposit.、Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to、yeah. some big thing for me that is like very unreachable. Yeah, it's very hard. I think, I guess it's just because, like I, what I said before, that we're not in that social group, so <laughs> never understand the importance、yeah. of a bag that costs five thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, I know. I actually quite like what、um, Claire Wan on NBC News wrote a couple years ago. She said that purchasing、yeah. power of Chinese middle class doesn't accurately reflect the financial status of Asian overseas,、um, and Chinese China centric aesthetics for Chinese New Year collections, for example, the zodiac、uh, animals as a chief design. This,、um, you know, they have Chinese celebrities uh, uh, promoting that、uh, in the ads. Really overlooks the other many ethnic、uh, groups that celebrate a holiday, both in Asia and in U.S., including you know like Singaporean, Vietnamese, and Korean. And also, the misconceptions can be particularly harmful when anti-Asian hate crimes are soaring, and Asian Americans are experiencing the、uh, biggest job losses amongst all the racial groups. And it also,、oh. you know, when the big brands monopolize this kind of ethnic. Traditions they risk misinterpreting or flattening the cultural practices. Oh yeah, absolutely. That makes the events distinct and emotionally resonant, and it also makes I don't know. It, it also assumes it gives the impression that Asians or maybe Chinese can afford those stuff, which is、um, yeah. You only talk about maybe the top one percent of ethnically Chinese who can afford those stuff. 
but the marketing is almost everywhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, I, I like that what she mentioned about um, whenever um, corporations take a social justice movement or a culture and mm. they use it to sell their products, it really is uh, an act of flattening the culture and mm-hmm. sort of painting them across with a very broad paint stroke, which is never what the genuine, nuanced, different kind of variety of the, the – it doesn't allow space to cultivate or depict the depth of each culture or social justice movement. Like, you know, this is very similar to our conversations about the ways in which a lot of corporatizations um, – sorry, a lot of companies last year mm-hmm. um, and the year before capitalised on Black, Black Lives Black, Matter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very similar. Um, uh, and, and at the end of the day, uh, what is just kind of – terrible i guess to Mm. um to conclude is that you know it's all for money yeah and um and there is a the thing and and then there are buyers there is um there is an audience for all of this there is Mm -hmm. a group of consumers who who want to fork out you know thousands of dollars for a bag with a picture of a tiger on it Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also love how what Madeline Chan said in 2019 in one of the fashionmagazine.com, uh, the website. She said that they're not a lot of most of these brands are not Asian brands, and their half-hearted attempts to yeah, lure exactly. Chinese customers into their stores seems desperate at best. You know, do we really expect to believe that these Americans and Europeans brand truly appreciate the meanings of? Uh, Chinese or Lunar New Year's when the majority of land can't even hire like Asian artists to design and produce these products and also um, she said that relegating a meaningful celebration to gimmickly like pro- uh, the products which most of us cannot afford is not really cool you know using colors and symbols and imaginary from our culture is not really sharing it's appropriating it's very problematic and no one has the right to tell us or any other people of color how we can feel about our culture traditions being manipulated for profit. It's almost like, oh, we have this piece of $5,000 um, bag and yeah. you need to buy it because it's got <laughs> fucking Lula New Year symbols on it. And if you don't buy yeah. it, like you're not respecting the culture or that kind of shit. And I just got kind of mixed feeling about it. I, I know that on one hand, bringing out the visibility of Lunar New Year in the predominantly white and Western nations. But at the same time, it's done very incorrectly to not really acknowledging the tradition and the culture. And we, also, we all know that it's, you know, a bit more appropriating for profit making, like exploitation and kind of like a tokenistic performative behavior that doesn't really change yeah. fundamentally a lot of racist yeah. um behaviors of a lot of corporations. Yeah. I mean Helen, you're you're only like a very few handful of years older than me, but when mm. you were growing up, did you notice uh, anything like this when we were when there was Chinese New Year? I mean we used to just call it Chinese New Year and I think in the last three years it's shifted away from Chinese New Year and and now the PC term is Lunar New Year Mm -hmm. yeah which I thought was interesting but when you were growing up in Australia in Sydney did you did you ever see that a lot of western um, entities 
companies did they like latch onto anything like this? Because no, yeah, I don't definitely not well. the supermarket. Like we can't yeah. find any Asian groceries in, you know, Coles or Woolies. Yeah, even in back in the nineties. But I think it's a good thing that actually starting to offer Asian groceries at the yeah. you know mainstream supermarkets. That's a good thing. But I definitely have not seen a lot of luxury goods that advertises using Lunar New Year to advertise or create um, like limited edition products back in the mm, 90s mm-hmm. or even in the 2000s. I think it's pretty much just the last five years that they're taken mm. up on hold because they know that, you know, Chinese consumers are becoming such an important market for them and they want to just go in and grab on hold, I guess. And yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, I know, you know, you've seen because Chinese becoming like a dominant economic power, but they're not. Like, I, I know that they are Asian designers, but they haven't been as um, popular as the European brands that we see, like on Pitt Street, on Castle Ridge Street, where they have stores and they have people lining outside of stores just trying to buy you know buy a bag like yeah saying, talking remember. about lv we're talking about gucci we're talking about tiffany but none of them are asian brands oh yeah yeah exactly that's that is really what helen and i are really pinpointing today in our discussion it's it's a lot of like white western brands and uh, appropriating um the and flattening the mm-hmm. asian cultures in order to sell their products yeah. Where do you see this heading in the next few years? I, I th- I'm thinking that in the next few decades, what, what are these Western yeah. brands going to do? They're going to appropriate Ramadan. They're going to appropriate... What's the what's the live festival, the Indian one? I suddenly can't, can't remember the name. Let's quickly look up. Diwali. Yeah, the Diwali festival. Are they going to appropriate Diwali? What's that? It's a live festival. I think it happens... Um, feel bad if i don't say it properly it's gonna happen in october in 2022 so it's a festival okay. live which a major festival celebrated by hindus and it's a five-day festival oh yes yes yeah where it's they... embarrassing that i don't know that <laughs> so this year is going to be in late october anyway i'm seeing perhaps they're going to appropriate muslim cultures they're going to appropriate indian cultures if you know their economic power starting to yeah grows become that's yeah, a really, yeah exactly yeah. that's a really good point Helen I really like that point so any final words on this um like I said we're not in that kind of social group so I can never understand why but at the same yeah. time I think it's really important we have to open up the discussion and really talk about it explore um why that it really impacts and could be harmful for a lot of Asian communities in you know, predominantly white space. Before we go, I'm gonna spend a couple of minutes to do a shout out to a lot of Asian artists um, who are actually connected to the culture. Amazing. They create Lunar New Year themed merchandises, you know, rather than advertising and spending thousands of dollars on superficial luxury goods that are rather ostensibly over market. 
um, what we want to do is that we want to support independent artists who actually connect to the Lunar New Year culture and create one-of-a-kind artworks that represent the true essence of Asian identity. So first up, I have mm. Jasmine Nguyen. <sighs> don't want to mispronounce <laughs> the surname. Guterres. Guterres? Yeah, Jasmine. Um, mm-hmm. She is an Asian-American designer and illustrator based in Austin, Texas. Um, she likes to create cute and thoughtful art. She said that as a quiet kid, she was too shy to use her voice. So instead, she used her imagination and found creative way to speak up. I think that's brilliant. Um, Jasmine's work is filled with bright and playful illustrations of childlike wonder, uplifting encouragement, strong female characters and Asian cultural representation. Um, so Jasmine obtained a bachelor's degrees in social work and also a certificate in visual, uh, visual design. She uses creativity as an opportunity to discuss important and sometimes difficult conversations about relationships, mental health, social issues and spiritual growth in forms of digestible, whimsical art. She's currently on to on a project which is called Chinatown Confession. It's a series of hand-lettered illustration items you'll commonly found in Chinatown with sassy and honest phrases like I'm from here, now leave me alone. You know how usually we as Asians in yeah. uh, Western countries they will get asked like where you're from. Uh, yeah, so I love that. And also yeah. uh, another quote, my food isn't weird, you are. You know how when we were growing up, we we were told yeah. that our food in our lunchbox is very it's weird, yeah. yeah, yeah, or smelly or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I know. yeah. So the inspiration for the project came from the desire to share her frustration about race um, in violence against Asians due to the pandemic in an approachable format without dilating the truth. She noticed that there are lack of conversations about the topics in the news and in her circles of friends and families. Um, having the conversation about racism can be uncomfortable, so Jasmine thought using the cute um, art will capture people's attention while leaving them with an important message to reflect on. Mm. So I really love that. I looked through her yeah, site. Yeah, I love that too. Um, the stickers and bags. Um, of course, we will have the links on our show notes, so make sure you check them out. Next up, I have Jenny. Here's what Jenny said. She said that, Hi, I'm Jenny. I'm a Chinese Canadian artist. I was born in Hong Kong and now living in British Columbia. Jenny creates whimsical artworks inspired by animal and nature. She usually draws in pencil scans that uh, into her computer and then do the colouring digitally. Jenny said that art brings me so much joy and I hope I can share that feeling with you. That's so amazing. I oh, thanks up. Jenny. Yeah. Um, so Jenny has a special offer for our listeners. I will have the code on our show link as well. Make sure that you check it out. And finally, I have another Jasmine. Uh, so Jasmine here is an illustrator that focuses on celebrating and connecting with her Asian identity as well as her personal sense of identity and mental health. Uh, for Jenny, food plays a massive part in her illustration as a lot of Asian household food was our love language. Peeling food was how our dad told us they love us, grandma making us eat everything <laughs> on our plate and sending us home with a doggy bag was a way of how she looked looks after us 
Yeah, I get that so much because when we go to our parents' home before we go, we'll always take a, like a huge bag of food. <laughs> yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for Jasmine, food is so integral to all our celebrations, including Mid Autumn Festival, Lunar New Year, and also weddings. Her artwork is usually bright and bold,、mm. reflecting on how bright and fun of my memories are, with an edgy and fun twist. So for Lunar New Year, Jasmine has created a sticker sheet that features a cute little tiger that would be great for journaling, journaling or given to kids with red envelopes. She also have a lot of other products on her store, which includes holographic、uh, stickers, tote bags, pins, and prints. Yeah, I'm just looking through all their products. They're just so amazing. Like I'm so proud yeah, so- of having Asian artists nowadays. Yeah. Because we don't when we were growing up, we don't see artists like them. Any of this? Yeah, yeah、exactly. creating yeah. wonderful pieces. You know, I would buy this for my kids and. Just kind、yeah. of let them know that they 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 are part of this identity, and hopefully they don't lose that kind of tradition.、Um, celebrating important, you know, culture events throughout the year. Yeah, and none of these products are tacky. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> none of these are tacky. <laughs>、yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um. Finally, the final shout out I promise I'm gonna do is that the theatre promotion. Uh, from our last episode, the interview with the two brilliant actors, Enoch Lee and Susanna Pong, they are actually currently performing at the Kings Cross Theatre with Queen Hades production, their debut play, A Grain of Sand, from 20th to 25th of January. I believe tonight's session is sold out. So if you're free this weekend. We encourage you to get your tickets. You know, support the performance industry, and of course,、um, you know, support the and Asian artists. Asian artists, of course, phenomenal. Honestly, yeah.、Uh, I don't know one single Asian who's lazy. <laughs> we just we're, we're such we're such go getters. Honestly, honestly, yeah. Yeah, we we can't、funny. afford to be lazy. You know.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So. That's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple. Remember to give us a five star rating, and we welcome listeners to send us your feedbacks or any topics you would like us to explore. Check our updates on our socials and make sure you share with your friends to help us to extend the visibility of Asian bitches down under, and let's continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. Okay, so that's it from me this week. We'll talk Guys, to you next time.、Uh, have a good weekend. <laughs> Stay safe as always. Yes, of course. Peace out. Bye. Bye.